I think this is one of those cases where uh, English speakers should just give up and not use the French word at all. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book, I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, uh, last time we were talking about pronunciation, we had a request from a non-native English speaker to talk about pronunciation. And since we really couldn't figure out what would be a great list or great set of rules, we just talked about words that are commonly mispronounced for native speakers and probably non-native speakers in English. But there was another category that I wanted to talk about. And that is words that are of French origin in English have a particular set of problems with them. Uh, one of them has to do with French. I think English speakers have a very hard time pronouncing French. Yes, because there are certain sounds that French has that are very common that we don't have. It has some vowels like e, which my French teacher uh, said to blend between an e and an u. So e. <laughs> and a lot of people just can't do it you know if you have somebody there okay no lips more closed on forward and the other one is uh which is also common in german uh it's not uh it's uh and again people in english often can't hear it yeah and then the other one that gives people a lot of trouble is the back of the mouth back of the tongue r as in louvre oh yeah we went to the louvre to see the art <sighs> yeah. We want to say Louver. That's on the window. Sure. Or uh, Cole Porter or somebody said Louvre. <laughs> You're the Louvre Museum, right? <laughs> yeah, the Louvre Museum. And yeah, that's better than Louver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and plow through some of these. First one I have on my list is uh, cash and cachet. This is kind of an easy one. So let's start with an easy one. Right. Well, cache comes from French cachet, meaning to hide. It would be cache in French. In English, it's cash, just like money. Um, if you have a collection of something all gathered together, it's a cache of um, a cache of pennies that you're saving to take back to the bank or something. That's also C A S H. <laughs> anyway, cachet is. Uh, C-A-C-H-E-T, and that means it's a seal affixed to a document originally, but we don't use it that way anymore. But now it means a quality that makes something prestigious. So if you uh, have artisanal chocolate that has a certain cachet, that means it's got some snob appeal. Mm -hmm. And the cash word uh, gets used often in the news as a cache of weapons or a cache of bomb-making materials in connection with terrorists. But the other use of cache that's being more and more common now is in connection with geocaching. Do you know about this sport? You know, I've heard the term, come to think of it, but I don't know what it is. I have no idea what geocaching is. Well, if you know the uh, geographic coordinates of something, then you could engage in geocaching, and that is trying to find where somebody has hidden something. It's usually just a small token, nothing valuable normally. Um, 
It could be a book. It could be a little bit of jewelry. It could be almost anything. But the point of the game is to use your skills in tracking down the exact location and finding the hidden object. And then either you exchange it for another object, that's sometimes done, or you just record that you successfully found it. And um, there are people who happily tromp around the woods all day long with their families tracking down geocaches. So uh, a cache or to cache something gets to be used quite a bit. And of course, that would be spelled C-A-C-H-E. Well, this geocaching sounds somewhat related to orienteering. Do you use topo maps with geocaching? Do you know? or No, I don't think so. I think it's more the coordinates rather than the elevation that's used. I see. Although I haven't done this myself, so I'm no expert. Right. Well, orienteering, you would have a topo map out and you'd have a compass and you'd look to see what the elevation is. And that's how you would orient yourself is to follow the map and the compass and to look at the lay of the land directly around you and see exactly how it is. And and you do this without roads or um, other markers, cities or road signs or anything like that. You just try to read the map and the lay of the land around you and go in the direction you're trying to go. So I think the only error that really creeps in here is when people are trying to use the word cash, they'll pronounce it cache. Yeah, right. Well, let's see. You mentioned the Louvre Museum. Yeah. Which you said was a probably a safer pronunciation, just say Louvre. The anglicized Louvre is probably better than trying to get that R-E correct. Well, or it's certainly better than saying Louvre. <laughs> Louvre, yeah, right. I mean, you could try to get the R-E correct. Okay, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try. But... um. There are some words where the R-E is pretty critical, I guess critical to some degree, when you're pronouncing them in English. Uh, macabre is one of them. Yeah, and often they don't pronounce the last syllable at all. It's just macabre. Yeah, it almost comes off as a breath at the end. Yeah, macabre would be the French pronunciation. And because I know French, I tend to do that. This is a macabre scene in the movie. But macabre, gives you some sort of a little hint of an R at the end can help. But macabre is the name of a character in a Dickens novel. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I always remember um, the CBS Radio Mysteries, which were a late series for radio drama. It was a late series. They were produced in the 70s. Are you familiar with these? Mm, I don't recall it. Hosted by E.G. Marshall. And at the end of every episode... He would invite you to join us next time for another adventure in the macabre. Uh -huh. And that macabre just had that slight little breath at the end to stand in for that R.E. Well, the dilemma you get into with this word, which happens with some others, too, is that if you say macabre, people may think you're being pretentious. Mm. And if you say macabre, they may think that you're being ignorant. So you're bound to annoy somebody one way or the other. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's the thing about these French terms, particularly where, um, you know, people associate a certain amount of snobbishness to them if you get them too correct. So you want to get the correct amount of correctness to them. But this next one, you really don't want to mix up, especially to somebody who knows a little French, right? Because a coup de gras is completely different from a coup de grace. Yeah, people often spell it coupe de gras. Gras is fat. Coupe de gras, yeah, excuse me. And a coupe is a cop. 
And a kook, C-O-U-P, is a blow. Um, people who know about Indian warfare all know about coup sticks and so on, or he made a real coup when he bought that company for a bargain price. So it means a blow, but it also means a lucky thing that you managed to do. And I was dining on the sidewalk outside a cafe in Paris one time, and there's these uh, Canadian women sitting next to me, and the woman was trying to order café au lard. And the uh, waiter kept saying, café au lard, what's that? Mm. And I was thinking, like coup de grace. Yeah. <laughs> it had the fat in it, because it was the word for lard. And I said, oh, excuse me, that's café au lait. And... They thanked me, and we had this little conversation where we got it so fat to creep in. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the correct expression for what we generally want to use is coup de grace. It does have that S. Yes, and it also gets mispronounced with people saying coup de grace. They get the coup right, but then they think, okay, French words often leave the consonant sound off at the end. If they don't know better, when there's an E following the consonant, then you do pronounce the consonant at the end of a French word. So it's coup de grace, not coup de gras. Ooh, well, that's a very easy one to mess up when you're trying to pronounce it. But for many of these, the spelling of the French term, luckily we have easy access to the Internet and we can just look these up really quickly and really easily. Um, the next one I have is, uh, oh, geez, I'm really going to mess this up. So it's an art object. That's the translation. Right. O-B-J-E-T, D apostrophe A-R-T. Objet d'art, although in French it's objet d'art, which is more like English object, but people hypercorrect wanting to sound more French, they'll say objet d'art, which is okay. To me, that's pretty common in English. Um, the other mistake they make is they want to omit the B. And I used to do that before I learned better. I'd actually look it up, and French people say objet d'art. With the B, ab is the first syllable, not oje dao. So if you say oje dao, you're not being authentically French. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want a plural, the plural applies to the first word in the phrase. Obje is spelled with an S on the end, not dao. Mm -hmm. And that's only in spelling, because when you're pronouncing it, you just drop that S? I would say objet d'ars. No, objets d'ars. Yeah, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> objet d'ars. I guess Americans would tend to say it with an S on the end. Uh-huh, yeah. But if you're writing it, it's got to be the S after the objet. All right. Plenty of confusion to be found in that one. And, you know, just using the phrase, that is a real work of art. It's just much safer in this case to stick with the English translation of the idea, I think, in order to avoid pretentiousness. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how about this one? Uh, and we have talked about this one on the podcast before because we did some menu items before and we talked about crepes on the menu. All right. And um, this is related to its French origin, right? Right. There's the whole pronunciation problem and spelling problem and all of that. There is a, another word, crepe, C-R-A-P-E, which originally was uh, cloth and later applied to a thin crinkled paper, crepe paper. 
And black crepe kind of cloth was traditionally associated with mourning. So you could talk to somebody wearing crepe or putting crepe over the windows and so on. Um, a crepe is a thin French pancake. And we tend to say that the same way. So uh, I'd like the Nutella crepe, please. Um, but a French person would say crepe. So if you want to do it the French way, you do it. But you have to spell it the French way. If you're writing about crepes, you have to spell it R-E-P-E. -E. Yeah, right. Now, if you really want to be French, you're going to have to put a circumflex, that little hat, over the first E. <laughs> I think that would be pretty pretentious for most people, but uh, it's worth knowing about anyway. It is worth knowing about. And, you know, for many of these, if you know enough about it to think I should look it up, that's a good amount of knowing about it, because once you look it up, you'll see, oh, yeah, if I wanted to do it the French way, the real way, I could put the little circumflex over it and my word would have a perfectly centered little rooftop on it. Now, as in the previous example, we have a challenge in the plural, although here it's the opposite outcome. If you're having some crepes or crepes, the S comes on the end, it has no E following it has an E preceding it, but not following it. So a French person would say, j'aime les crêpes, not j'aime les crêpes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in fact, we have a crêpe shop here on Bainbridge Island, which calls itself j'aime les crêpes. Uh -huh, I see. The owner is so fanatical about genuine Frenchness that he actually has sent some of his employees to Paris to be trained on the spot and how to make authentic French crepe. Tell me, how are the crepes there? Well, I'm on a gluten-free diet. <laughs> so oh. I don't eat them. <laughs> but other people say they're excellent. You're not going to get very authentic French that way. Buckwheat is the other one, but I'm also allergic to buckwheat. I used to cook crepes fairly often. And back in the 60s, one of the standard things you might get as a wedding present besides a fondue set was to get a crepe pan. I think I have the same crepe pan that I've had for many, many years. I use it for other things, but not making crepes anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about what in English we often call a, a chase lounge. Yes. But if you're watching an old movie, that's not what they call it, right? It has a different pronunciation. And I'm going to let you just take it from there. I don't remember hearing it in old movies. Oh, I do. Okay, what have you heard? Well, uh, just the much more French pronunciation. Chaise long? Yes, chaise long. In French, it would be chaise longue. Chaise. A-I is pronounced eh. Chaise longue. So I think this is one of those cases where uh, English speakers should just give up and not use the French word at all. Yes. But the chaise longue turns into chase long, and that led me to think of somebody reclining in a chair, probably an attractive woman with a guy chasing her. <laughs> yeah. But that's not correct. Chaise is chair, and long is long. So it's a long chair. That's what it means. Um, a recliner sort of thing, only it's permanently reclined. Mm -hmm. In English, we just generally call that a chase lounge. Chase lounge. Right. <laughs> it's a completely anglicized version of that. Right. There's a lot of words like that that I also refer to in the same entry. Uh, entree. 
the main dish and a meal. And you'll see that on a menu, they have the entree. Well, the entree was originally in French, what we would call an hors d'oeuvre. It was what was served before the main dish, which was the plat, P-L-A-T, the plate. But in English, entree has uh, taken over from plat, and so we call it an entree. And of course, it has E-N-T-R-E with an accent aigu, acute accent, and then another E in the spelling. We don't usually use the accents in English. Um, but if you're ordering in a French restaurant, especially in France, then uh, you're not going to see entree used in the way that we use it here. And the one that astonishes me the most is lingerie. Mm -hmm. Now, the word in French is lingerie, and it comes from the same root as linen, and meant all kinds of linen goods, sheets and pillowcases and whatever, and then it got narrowed down to linen underwear, and then underwear generally. And I have no idea how it came to be lingerie. It's not natural in English to take an I-E sound and turn it into an A, but that's what we've done. Yes, right. Uh, well, here's another one that we did talk about before, so we might not need to spend too much time on this. If people have listened to the menus podcast, which they should, is Bon Appetit. Yeah, Bon Appetit. Like I said, we did talk about this one before, Bon Appetit, but uh, let's just go over this one more time here. This is related to French-derived terms. Uh, bon Appetit is what a waiter says to you when uh, he or she delivers the food, and it means uh, eat with good appetite. It has no meaning, literally, except, well, the English waiters often say enjoy, which bothers me no end. I figure it's up to them to have me enjoy it by making a good meal. <laughs> I think it's short for I hope you enjoy this. But somehow I don't mind it in French. And people often say that this is typical French snobbishness, that of course they know that their food is exquisite and uh, they just need to cue you in to enjoy it by saying, if you have the proper appetite, you will have a good time with this. <laughs> but anyway, the proper thing to say is bon appétit. Now, because the T at the end, that last T, has no E after it, so that last T is not pronounced bon appétit. But uh, a lot of waiters don't know any better, and they say bon appétit. Mm -hmm. I would say maybe the majority. And petite is the word for small, of course, as women know who are looking for small-sized clothing, like my wife, has always having trouble finding things that are small enough for her. Bon appétit would be something good for smallness. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but you want good appetite, so bon appétit. Bon appétit would be the correct pronunciation, but you're very commonly going to hear bon appétit. Yeah. Uh, now, here's one. It might be more of a spelling one, maybe, than otherwise, because we pronounce this French expression pretty well, I think, par excellence. Yeah, now you nasalized the end very well there. A lot of people can't handle that. And excellence, they might say excellence, excellence, but excellence is further back in the nose, sort of. Whichever way you do it, it's an ah sound. And most people know that, but when they go to write it, they will sometimes think, okay, I have that ah sound. That must be an A in there. Well, it's not. The French spell excellence the same way we spell excellence. There you don't need any variation. Yeah, and the tip-off for pronunciation is that the word par is in front of it. That's the tip-off. This is the French-derived version of that, so you'll pronounce it par excellence. Yeah. 
Well, the, the next one has some particular controversy around it. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably do a whole podcast on this. Uh, not my forte. Now, I know that it's technically not not my forte, but uh, I think we need to forget about the French derivation on this particular one when we go to pronounce it, because it just sounds too silly and too pretentious to do it otherwise. But a lot of people disagree. Well, okay. Not only do people disagree, but they disagree with me specifically. And when I first put this up on my website, I got pounded <laughs> for it. And people keep suggesting, oh, you don't correct people who say pas mon forte. Or that's not my forte in English. That would be pas in French. The thing is that it's not French to say pas mon forte because it ends in an E that has no accent on it, and so it's pas mon fort, not my strong point, not the thing that I'm best at. So pas mon fort. Now, nobody says not my four <laughs> in English. No. And so if you were going to be genuinely French, that's what you would say, not my four. Yes. And the forte is Italian. And that is, you know, a loud sound in music is a forte. Sure, yeah. In which case, it's accented on the first syllable. And the long version of the instrument that you play that has the keyboards, the acoustic instrument with the keys on it, is a pianoforte. Pianoforte, which means quiet, loud. Yeah. Unlike a harpsichord, you can play very soft notes on it or very loud ones. Yeah. So you've got a real tangle among three languages competing here, and... The problem is really that most people are saying it just fine. They're saying, not my forte, and that is the English pronunciation. And I say poo to those picky people who insist it should be something different. <laughs> now, there's another mistake with this word, though. People get its meaning wrong. Not my forte means it's not what I'm most expert at. It's not my specialty. But if you dislike something... You don't say, not my forte. If you say, uh, I love opera, but Wagner's operas are not my forte. What you're saying is, I'm not an expert in Wagnerian opera, rather than, I just don't like Wagnerian opera, which happens to be the case with me, by the way. Verdi and even Rameau and a lot of other composers I like, but Wagner just drives me bats. Mm. Well, regardless of your opinion on Wagner or any other composer, uh, if you say it's not your forte, that's suggesting that you might be a conductor or you might be a director of operas rather than just someone with an opinion about it. Yeah, a performer. Or a performer, yeah, it's not my forte. I'm really good at singing Verde, but uh, God, just I'm no good when it comes to Wagner. Uh, totally different meaning from somebody saying, you know, I just really can't stand Wagnerian opera. Well, let's do one more here on our list of French-derived terms, and it's another one of those that has that strange R-E at the end that Americans and English speakers have so much trouble with. Oh, but the bigger problem is the vowels sound at the beginning. So let me try it out, okay? And you can tell me how much I've uh, mangled this one. Uh, I would say oeuvre. Yeah, that's a really common English pronunciation is oeuvre. And that's that vowel that I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast. Eh. And we just don't have it in English. It's not that hard to say once you learn it. Uh, it's somewhere between uh and ooh. But it's eh. Uh, 
And the R, of course, goes in the back of the throat. So Uver, no. Part of his Avra or Avra, probably okay with that. It's not a word that adapts well to English. And it's kind of a pretentious word. That's um, one of many books in his collection of things that he's written. You could say his output, I guess, or the body of his work. Or How about the canon? Well, a canon is... Canon is suggests something different, right? Yeah, right. That's the works that are particularly valued by a large body of people and thought to be superior. But oeuvre, it just means work in French. It's a very common word, uh, like digging a ditch could be your oeuvre. But um, we use this very specialized one to mean the body of a work produced by an individual creator is his or her oeuvre. And... Um, Ouvre, particularly just great hair, so it just goes with ouvre. Ouvre. So it's more ouvre, is closer. Yeah, but body of work or output will do just fine. If you want a lifeline for us who are not very good at these French vowels, you could just go with the English body of work. But if you could get the pronunciation correct and you were talking to a particularly sophisticated crowd, I suppose it might be worth your effort to get that vowel sound down. Yeah, if you can even hear it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, start with step one. You got to hear it first. Well, okay, Paul, this is a lot to think about here with this French pronunciation, a certain number of guidelines we can go by and thank you for your help on this. This is an area that is not my forte. <laughs> Right. Okay, talk to you later. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.